Hey, everyone. It's Amber. In 2019, I began work on a podcast series that explored how historically marginalized groups were underrepresented in the IBD space. The plan was to record episodes during the spring conferences of 2020 with a goal of publishing in the fall of that same year. As you already know, those conferences didn't happen. I pivoted to recording remotely and finally published the seven-episode series in the spring of 2021. What you're about to hear next is an episode of that series, which is called Healthcare Disparities in IBD. I'm the host and producer, but it's a different animal from about IBD with a focused topic and some voices that haven't been heard on this feed before. Much has changed since the production of this series in 2021, but our discussions are still relevant in so many ways. While working on this show, I learned more things than I can list, and I hope you get a little something out of it too. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Episode 7 of Healthcare Disparities in IBD. I'm your host, Amber Tresco. In this limited series, we'll explore how inequalities in the healthcare system affect people of color and members of the LGBTQIA community who live with an IBD. One of the barriers to addressing disparities is money. In some cases, access to care and other equity issues might be solved by putting some funding towards the problems. I asked my guests, if you received grant money, where would you allocate it in order to address disparities? You'll hear from Dr. Aileen Cherubati, Melody Noreen Blackwell, Dr. Cedric Pulliam, Dr. Fasika Shemelis Tefera, and Brooke Abbott. They each address the question in their own way. Their answers are unique, but there is a main theme. I did not provide this question ahead of time. Even though they didn't know the question was coming, not one of my guests needed more than a few seconds before they answered. From Washington, D.C., Maryland, Atlanta, Georgia, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and Los Angeles, California, let's find out what this panel says about where we should be focusing our efforts in combating healthcare disparities in the IBD space. First up, Dr. Aileen Cherubati. grant, and I don't want to give you sort of a dollar number because I actually don't even know how much money would be needed. But if you were awarded a large grant to work on this issue, do you have any ideas about where you would start, where you would put this money? Are you sponsoring something that I should be working on? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) This is a new relationship now. (laughs) You know, as uh, I, again, like we talked, there's so many things to do. And when you have, you're given an opportunity, you have to stay focused on what you do best, I think. And I've always been an educator. And I always believe that a knowledgeable patient is an empowered patient, that uh, some a patient who understand the disease process, what we're trying to do, the treatment, the follow-up, the, the support that they could have, the is an empowered patient and is no longer an, a patient who is afraid of what's going to happen or what we're going to do to him or her. This is a patient who now understand and is part of the process. And I think if I had a grant, thank you, Amber, <laughs> uh, it would be mainly about 
educating, really reaching out to communities and minorities, educating about symptoms of IBD, what can be done, what does it mean to be taken care of, what does it mean if we don't take care of IBD, educate um, healthcare professional about IBD in minorities and how to approach IBD in minorities, and really create a link, a system. It's because I, we can educate both parties, but if there's no way for that patient to connect with the healthcare professional, we're not achieving something. So create a system where uh, within the community, there's a system that, you know, either primary care physician or urgent care can plug in those patients into the right place and using the advantage of technology like televisit uh, or group home if they're available, using whatever we have uh, to bring care to patients that cannot get to care necessarily until things get better in a social and economic way and insurance coverage and all this. So this is what I would do. I would be education, kind of demystifying what a doctor visit is, what a gastroenterologist is, demystifying, um, you know, the fear behind treatments, uh, behind GI symptoms, and really creating a community that is empowered uh, in their knowledge and not fearing to talk about uh, things and to reach out to a physician and and know that they will be well taken care of, that they, we're going to establish that trust again um, between patients and physicians. That's what I would do. And now we'll hear from Melody Noreen Blackwell. If you had to pick one initiative and you were being given a grant for Kochi, what is the thing that you would put the money behind in this moment to help your community? Oh, gosh, that's tough because it's two things that I'm super par- oh, um, <laughs> okay. super like passionate about. All right, maybe we let you split it. Okay, let me split it. Okay, because it's hypothetical, right? So the first thing I would I would do is build the Omni. Like I mm-hmm. talked about that because that's an access that's um, it touches on so many social disparities like that would help, you know, so many of them. So that's access and affordability and just everything right there. But I would also my 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 first one that I'm focusing on now personally is health literacy, because if you don't have the knowledge, you can't get in the conversation and people that aren't in the conversation, they t- shy away from it. So they don't have the ability to even empower, be empowered to do what they need to do. So health literacy, like I'm super passionate about that. And then access are very important to me. But, you know, they work hand in hand to me because you'll even know better how to operate your telehealth, how to operate your your um, lab work. And just, you'll know what things are for when you're literate. If you're not literate, you just don't know. And you're you're really dependent on someone who may not be doing the right things. I, you just gave me goosebumps. I, I love this. Um, education <laughs> is really extremely important to me too. And there's a lot of research behind it that says that education is the thing that once IBD patients are educated about their disease and maybe a little bit about how to work within the health system, they do so much better. So it just makes a lot of sense. Yes. And it does. And you know what else? Doctors like when you're an informed patient because you help them figure out what's best for you as a patient. So when you have that, you can say, hey, this is what I track. Like I I have a, a planner that's like a health it's a health planner, but like a health journal. And 
we give it to the patients and they use that and it helps them to say, hey, this is what I experienced for the last month. You know, when you can't get to your appointment, here's what I'm going through. I, well, you said this three months ago, da, 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 I wrote it on my journal. You know, here's this. You said these things and this isn't where we are right now. You know, it gives them the power to advocate for themselves or a family member to advocate for them. So you have to really, you have to get down to getting the community, the education that they need to be able to say what they need to say. Next up, Dr. Cedric Pulliam. So I have one more question for you. If you received a large grant to help the LGBTQ plus community in the IBD space, what would you do with it? So if I received a large grant uh, specifically to this topic of LGBT plus within the IBD community, I think one I would need more patient advocates or community members either living with IBD or caregiving for a, a LGBTQ plus IBD patient to be a part of some brainstorming. And I say that because what I learned in this space, even when you do have the, the, the pocketbook <laughs> per se or the checkbook, you never want to go on it, go, go at something alone. You need more than you, you need a community of people to not only be with you, aligned with you, or devil's advocate with you to get you to a better place in alignment, but also to support whatever you're doing. So that's the disclaimer. What I could see for a large grant is this education and curriculum uh, building, is skills building for our providers. That's one. And, and this has been done in other medical therapeutic spaces for medical curriculum and education. So this is not new because there's a lot of, you know, cultural, cultural competency in healthcare education that uh, medical schools have adapted. Um, AMA and some others have adapted some nuanced, uh, you know, updates to their curriculum over time over the past few decades and things like that. So that's, I just want to put a caveat that these things are not new, but it would be new for this space, for the gastroenterology space, I think. And and that piece would take some, you know, association and coalition building, um, some very deep thoughts, some very tough discussions and conversations too. But the educational piece and the curriculum piece for, for future gastroenterologists needs an LGBTQ plus um, portion of their learning and educational experience has to be, even if it's in residency or if it's a research has to be the second, if, if I was, if I was going to do this, like an umbrella grant, that's the first part of it. The middle part would be working on research. The research would definitely need to, and I'm talking like a landscape analysis or, you know, some kind of longitudinal study that really focuses on specifics to spec parts of the spectrum. So a gay IBD patient research study that is very centric and focusing on maybe five to seven metropolitan cities that, you know, can be taken up by medical students and can be taken up by actual gastroenterologists already practicing 
and then the patient advocate community to help uh, develop and help implement a research, uh, a longitudinal study to provide us data, to provide us some, and I don't know the necessary questions or research focus area, but it has to, we have to get more data on the LGBT patients in the IBD space. It's, it's needed. So that's the middle part. The, the, the other part is to work with the pharmaceutical companies providing the therapeutics for IBD patients um, to provide the tools and resources. I'm talking digital videos, digital uh, materials. We're in the telehealth space with COVID pandemic. So uh, really just providing like materials and like stories and, you know, storytelling in the health space have been an astronomically game changer when you think about the impact that it has. Storytelling is in the HIV space. Storytelling is crucial. It's crucially important. It helps providers, patients, family members, caregivers, you name it. It helps everybody. That is a need for the LGBT patients in the IBD space. And then also like if the medical provider, the gastroenterologist is not able to really help with the care plan for an LGBT patient. That would be a space to provide tools and resources. Like if I start Stellara, I wanna be able to know what potential things may occur. I wanna be able to talk to someone to say, hey, what may happen? Like if I'm trying to be intimate, should I be watching out for blah, blah, blah? What kind of side effects could happen with this? And those kind of questions, when you're talking to that nurse on the line, she may not be able to answer that. He may not be able to answer that. And it's those things that we have to think about, especially the pharmaceutical companies producing these therapeutics, uh, therapeutic treatments for IBD. Um, and so tools, resources, digital material, storytelling opportunities, and then the growth of the patient advocacy community with working with the pharmaceutical companies. And this will be the community of IBD folks, uh, advocates and um, patients working with the pharma companies to help build this component. Because again, I can't tell you, I can't even name five patient advocates that are gay that I know and I've met and or worked with or been connected to just within the past two years. I know maybe four and that's a problem. I know they, they're out there and they exist. Maybe they're not patient advocates, but I want to meet them. I want to know them. So if you're out there, contact me at Crohn's What Is on Twitter. <laughs> I just, I want to meet you. I want to know you exist. And I want to be able to discuss these things with you as well. But those are, those are the things I would do with a large, a large lump of money of grant funding came through specifically to this topic. And here's Dr. Fasica Shimelis Tefera. So let me ask you this. Now, I don't have access to grant money. So this is just a theoretical question. But if you had grant money to focus on some aspect of IBD, mm -hmm. wh where is the first place that you would put that money in your country? Research, definitely. Because, um, like I said, if I would spend that on patient support, definitely would change a few people's lives. But research can go a long way. 
like I said, people are based on the research that was done 20 years ago in our country. So having a well-experienced and qualified researcher do a study here on IBD in Ethiopia would do a lot of good. And even if the research is published and after that medical schools can use it, policymakers can use it, it can do a lot of good. And a very long-term plan is um, doing a research first because that's what we're lacking on. And finally, Brooke Abbott. Brooke, if I were to give you a grant, if I were to give you some grant money, and I'm not saying that I have any grant money because I don't. But, <laughs> Are you hiding money? But, I mean, let's say I know, but let's make believe that I have a, a large grant to offer you to help people in racial and ethnic minorities in the IBD space. Where would you put that money? Oh, towards um, nutrition information regarding IBD, like I, it, trying to get IBD dietitians to come into certain areas, um, mobilizing more clinics that have uh, GIs and rheumatologists and other specialists coming in, um, and education, getting advocates out there to talk one-on-one with patients about their experiences, and connecting bridges between the medical field and um, patients of color. So you think education primarily? Education is so important. And I only say that because, um, you know, I consider myself an educated person, but because there wasn't a lot of representation in the IBD space of Black women and, and Black people in general, um, I it, didn't get a lot of information about the disease and I was often overlooked and that unconscious bias kept me from getting proper treatment for a very long time. And so if I had had more education, more representation, more access, um, I, I think this is important to say, it does not matter how much money a black person makes or a brown person makes, we somehow still do not have access to things. And it's because there are these racial systemic barriers in our way all the time. And it usually starts with unconscious bias of people believing that you may not have IBD or you may be, you, you may be exaggerating your symptoms or something like that. So access is not always because of fiscal reasons. It's, it's more often in this country based on bias, whether it's, it's gender or race or religious or sexual orientation. We have a huge problem with bias in this country and it creates barriers for all Americans. Thanks to my guests, Dr. Eileen Cherubati, Dr. Selvi Vasudevan, Melody Noreen Blackwell, Dr. Cedric Pulliam, 
Dr. Fasika Shemilis Tafarah, and Brooke Abbott. Every day, these folks are making a difference in the lives of people who live with IBD, as well as many other chronic conditions. If you are a person who has access to funding, I urge you to get in touch with the people who have created this show with me. It's clear that they are the experts, and each of them knows where and how to start reducing disparities in the IBD community and beyond. I will put all their contact information in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm Amber Tresca, reminding you that healthcare is a human right. Healthcare Disparities in IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Theme music, mix, and sound design is by Cooney Studio.